house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Let's have some espresso. What's that? Is that like reefer? Uh, you have a lot to learn. What's your name? Margaret. Wouldn't you rather flirt with those girls down there? No. I like you, Margaret. Wow, this is all happening mighty quick. I am a divorcee with a child. Walter is a blessing. Mm. You're gonna love this stuff. Why are their eyes so big? The eyes are the windows of the soul. That's why I paint them so big. I've always done it that way. Why are you lying? Sadly, people don't buy lady art. The painting says keen. Hello and welcome to the This Head Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that today we call Elizabeth. Every week on This Head Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my Joan Crawford and the portrait I, perhaps my wife, made of her, Joe Reed. You know, Chris, one thing that I always say, and that is exclusive to me, because I'm the only person who ever says this, is the eyes are the windows to the soul. So, Famously, um, famously I did see... Like a pastel um, artwork on Instagram that said, the eyes are the window to the soul, end quote, dash Joe Reed. Thank you. Yes. Um, I know. I'm excited to be talking about this movie, Chris. I Excited to be talking about this movie. Also excited that, um, as we were mentioning right before we got on mic, wildly our first Amy Adams episode. Somehow. Somehow we've gone 133 previous episodes and never mentioned uh, one of the great queens of not having an Oscar. But as I was saying before we started, even when she doesn't get nominated, her movies do tend to, by and large, do well with the Oscars where like she's not nominated for her, but she's that movie is still a best picture nominee. Enchanted still gets a bunch of nominations. Arrival is a best picture nominee. Like she's a pretty good, you know, uh, good luck charm there. Julie and Julia, another example. Um, Charlie Wilson's war. Exactly. Exactly. So like there are options, uh, but this was, I'm. this feels appropriate for it to be the first one because like this is, her this had oscar buzziest role absolutely, absolutely. like this was For the one where like reasons. the second you heard that she was making this movie it's tim burton going back into prestige mode that he hadn't really visited since arguably big fish definitely since edward um and it was like, oh, she's playing a real person. There's, you know, everybody Everybody sort of penciled this one in as a possibility, or at least I certainly did. Oh, and yeah. We, have, we will um, uh, go into all of those things. <laughs> yes. They are all true for a lot of us. And then the movie, you know, kind of whiffed when it was oh, when it opened. Such a whiff. Such a glorious whiff. 
the whiffiest of uh, the whiffiest holiday season oh, ever at the box office in terms of Oscar. However, there's still something more to be excited about this episode. Probably the most excited uh, thing we should be about for this episode. We have a guest, and Yay. it is, uh, you know him as um, a writer. I'm sure we're also going to talk about his the launch of his podcast, Just to be Nominated. It's Jorge Molina. Yay, Hi guys. Jorge. Welcome. Here I am with my big eyes and my big lies. And, uh... <laughs> we did send an email before we recorded this that said, uh, Jorge, you are required to bring both your big eyes and your big and lies. And my big so lies. glad that you followed mm-hmm. the prompt. Yes. yes. These, these are not... Not your big little lies. Yeah, no. Big, these are the big ones. Just plain big lies. Mm-hmm. Just, just, yeah. Unadulterated uh, big lies. Thank you for having me. I'm so pumped for being here. Uh... As I said, as a We're fan of so both. thrilled to have you, and uh, you chose the right movie, too, to break the Amy Adams seal. And- yeah, as you informed me right before, I did not, I was also unaware that this was the first time you uh, talked about it, uh, which, it, yes, it does sound crazy that uh, that this is the first movie. But, uh, yeah, it was super, Much like Miss Pettigrew, we are living for a day, and that day <laughs> is the day we get to talk about Amy Adams. Jorge, I'm so glad that you... Uh, arrived onto this episode immediately bringing up the Lana Del Rey song. Oh, I, I have things you. to say about Lana Del Rey and, and her Oscar <laughs> journey. Do not worry about we all. Okay, maybe maybe we'll bring that back once we get into the Globes conversation. But uh, welcome to the podcast, Jorge. Um, you have just, as of the time that this is airing, you've just launched Just to be Nominated. Uh, if you want to like tell our listeners about it. Yes. Um, of course. Uh, yes, this is uh, a foray, that uh, a podcast that I'm launching myself. It is, um, it's called Just to be Nominated. It is a scripted uh, series podcast uh, that combines my two biggest loves in life, which are uh, award season uh, and uh, whodunit, classic uh, uh, murder mystery whodunits. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's very much inspired by like old timey Agatha Christie uh, ensemble murders. And it's about an actress that gets killed the night she uh, wins the Oscar, and two uh, uh, podcast hosts of a of a Oscar centered uh, podcast, not unlike this one, um, that decide that their Oscar punditry uh, is exactly what the tools they need to figure out who did it. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's about the dissection of award season through the lens of this, you know, genre that is very beloved to my heart. Uh, I'm very excited <laughs> for people to to get to to listen. Uh, yeah, it's that's a fantastic we, premise. Um, ever ever since you mentioned it to me, I've been so thrilled waiting for it to happen. So I'm so excited that it is finally here. Um, everybody, go listen to Just to Be Nominated yes. wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, as of this is all the first episode should be out now. So star studded too, like truly. Yes, uh, we we got a real cool cast uh we got yeah brendan scanal uh zach noe towers drew drogi and what i want to call as the role of a lifetime for him uh and uh <laughs> yeah it's it, it's really it's really cool uh and yeah chris uh helped me out like very early on with with this i i put together like a little paddle of uh because i created an oscar season from scratch so i needed to Amazing. like bring the 
the big cavalry to like help me figure that out. <laughs> Chris was very. I'm sure Chris's consultant fee was uh, exorbitant, but probably it was. Yes, I so. need to yeah. cut that check yet, but uh... it's basically me as God, like putting an entire Oscar season uh, from oh. scratch together. Like yes. you are it. speaking truly my love language, my sun, moon, and rising signs. Yeah, so I, I hope when I was making it, like I, I know we all like every. Writers like I want to be like a like, appeal to everyone, but I'm like I just want to appeal to like Oscar uh, <laughs> connoisseurs. Like if I can get to them, like I'm well served. So uh, this is for all of uh, for all of them. Uh, yeah, we we made that same calculation uh, a few years ago, and thus yeah. far it's paid off. So exactly. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah we so, are happily niche as well. Yes. Happily Niche, that's on my tombstone. Uh, Happily Niche would be a great, like, production company name or something like that, right? Uh, Happily Niche Productions? Yeah. Trademarking yeah, that, nobody that steal that one in LLC, case we ever want to do something. Let's get on yeah, it. Yeah, we will have the screen adaptation of Just to be Nominated. <laughs> Please. Um, exactly. Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, Happily nice. Niche happy, happily niche Productions or Happily Niche Pictures? Uh, I like feel, niche classics. Let's, let's do production because pictures just limits us to like a single medium, and we want to, you know. Happily yeah. niche classics gives us a little bit of nice of a of a respectability sheen. I do like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Happily okay, niche I'm, vantage. I, I'm filling out the paperwork for the LLC right after we <laughs> right, uh, exactly. we Perfect. we hang up. Uh, but yeah, I I mean, please take a bus once you've finished listening to this episode. Go and catch up on because by the time the first episode will be out, so yeah, just just jump. We will absolutely link it to the Tumblr, and we will be posting about it on our Twitter page as well. Um, Just to be nominated, so excited for uh, what's going to be unveiled in all of your episodes. Thank you, thank you. So you're our first guest in a minute, and what we always do with our guests, we always want to hear what your Oscar origin story is. Like, what was either the Oscar season or the movie that got you invested in the Oscars or, like, made you first pay attention to the Oscars? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, there's, like, a specific season that, like, kind of was it for me. But, like, even beforehand, and I thought, like, long and hard about this, but it's, I I really do think, and this is, like, something in, in favor of, like, you're born with it but like i just remember very early on just like having this incline of like this is something i like and this is something that you know it's gonna be part of me because i i remember like like fourth or fifth grade like the teacher gave us an assignment of like just give a presentation on whatever the hell you want just to like practice your uh public speaking skills or whatnot Mm -hmm. and i like without hesitation i'm like the history of the academy awards I do I not know where that came from. I do not know who, like, Inception planted that idea on me. Maybe it was the gay agenda and, like, good for that. <laughs> for, like, it was. Me. Your Oscar origin story was being conceived. Exactly. It was when you were conceived. Uh, but, like, I, re- like, even, I don't, I think, I remember that before I ever remember watching a ceremony, but I remember, like, just, like, the most random facts, like, Beauty and the Beast is the first animated picture, uh, animated feature to get a Best Picture nom. Or, like, the two biggest nominees at that point were, like, Ben-Hur and Titanic. Like, having those random facts stored in my head at, like, yeah. 10 years old. Um, so, you know, that that was implanted on me early on. Um, and then I remember, like, m- like watching moments, but not entire ceremonies, like, in my head. I, I remember two very clear ones. Um, I remember Reese Witherspoon winning her Oscar. And, uh, very random. I remember Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events winning Best Production Design. 
because <laughs> winning best production design very... standing in the aisles. Yes, I don't. I don't remember that. I just remember because I was and still am like a big, a huge Lemony Snicket fan. I was like, that's a movie I like, and that movie won, so I feel vindicated. So I remember <laughs> that feeling. I, that was, I think, that was the only year that they tried that particular little. That was one of the Academy's. Let's try and find a way to speed up the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, by, by which they usually mean, um, let's get past the below the line awards as quickly as possible because Joe Schmo at home doesn't give yeah. a shit about the yeah. uh, best production design. But so that was the one where like they literally just like sent a presenter into the middle of the aisle up towards the back. And I think Kate Blanchett was one of them. I think that's probably right. I do remember that was the year that Lemony Snicket won, but that was also the year that Taika Waititi and was it Andrea Arnold oh. also? I think we're both nominated for short film oh, and shorts. Andrea Arnold mm-hmm. won. And Andrea Arnold did win. I don't know if it was that year. I'm pretty sure it was because I'm pretty sure I remember like her just like getting up from her seat and walking half a step to the aisle and <laughs> making her acceptance speech. And Taika Waititi is like definitely in frame at some point during that whole thing. Oh, so I, I, I'll, I'll need to seek that out. Uh, definitely. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, I'm all for like the Oscar shaking things up and like how things are presented. But that's just awkward. Uh, well, and it's rude to me too. It's just like, oh, oh yeah. nobody cares about you. Let's like shuffle you off as quickly as possible. Like, yeah, because well, I mean, their thinking was like less walking on stage, like time walking on stage, right? Mm-hmm. Like cutting all that time. Sure, because they put yeah. all those people at the back of the theater, which yeah. is like when that was announced that they were going to do that. Of course, all of the Oscar freaks were up in arms, and like that was so disrespectful. Blah blah blah. blah. Right. But then when the ceremony actual happened, the Joe Schmoes who they think that they're serving also thought it was terrible and they got so much blowback for it yeah well like that's the thing is like you take this academy like they're going to close ranks around that kind of thing like the every every time they have an idea and their idea is let's short shrift the actual nominees like nobody's gonna like that because either you are a nominee or you think you will one day be a nominee and it's just like it's i don't know it's also at most it'll take it takes people 30 seconds 45 seconds to get up to that stage so like take that over the course of maybe say like 10 or 12 categories that are the ones you don't give a shit about yeah and it's like okay so it's another 10 minutes on the oscars like who gives a shit well and it's also i don't know i think there's you can have like good like in that walk i i like when you know the announcer like gives you the stats of like this is the nomination or Give like I don't know the fact. Oscars do this that much, but like in the Emmys where they play like the theme song of whatever uh, right. show just won, like you can have fun with like the walk up to the os- to the stage. Um, like it's not also, there. That is the time when everybody at home checks their little Oscar pool sheets exactly. and makes their little check marks on their list. Like that is mm-hmm. time that is not wasted. That is time well spent. And you know also- what? If somebody at home wants to go and use the restroom during pre- best, you know, sound mixing, mm-hmm. that is their prerogative as well. Like, that's got to happen at some point. Also, yeah. just walking down the aisle, seeing whoever's seated on their way there, how they're exactly. reacting to that win. You know, we're living in the of age value. of HD. Like we mm-hmm. can see everybody ten rows back. We want to be able to do exactly. that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Do not give us less opportunities for Oscar reaction shots. We exactly. More. No, no, no. Yes. Busy um, Phillips is in that audience somewhere. <laughs> we want to see how she is reacting to this. It, it, yeah, it's a gay where's Waldo at the end of the day. When all, we Absolutely. all you know, uh, re- rewind the moment. That's the kind of stuff we all look for. Um, I know I am not the only one. We've all done this. We've no, looked totally. at that wide shot of the moment where Moonlight gets announced as the real winner. 
uh, of the 2016 Oscar, and it's that wide shot of everybody in the audience, and it is Where's Waldo, where you play. It's like, there's uh, whatever, uh, Michelle Williams, there's Cheryl Boone Isaacs, there is uh, David Oyelowo, and you know, that's there's the- Meryl Streep looking into the camera and saying, what the fuck? <laughs> that's the big, big-ass painting that Margaret Keene should have painted, you know, just like yes. that. Uh, that is our last supper. Truly, that, that is supper. this generation's last supper. Absolutely true. Yes. Um, yeah, but so so I do remember like these random moments. But the season that kind of like did it for me was the seventy ninth Academy Award. So like the ones awarding uh, the oh six movies. Um, and I remember that being big because. Uh, I mean, people don't know, I grew up in Mexico City, uh, was born in Mexico City, and grew up, like, around there, uh, like, all my uh, childhood and, and teenage dumb. Um, so that year was a year that uh, Iñárritu had Babel, uh, yep. Cuaron had Children of Men, and Del Toro had Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. So when the uh, nominations were announced, like, the Mexican press was just, like, going crazy, because, and I remember, like, our version of like Entertainment Weekly, which was uh, Cinemania and Cine Premiere, which I also subscribed uh, obsessively. Um, like their Oscars issue, the the lead story was like this year a Mexican will take it because there were so many movies, you know, by the three um, uh, amigos. So that was uh, I don't know the the the, the national uh, 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 excitement for for that season kind of just like. I got wrapped around it, and I kind of, like, never let go from that one. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that was the one, because the issues, uh, they those magazines had, like, either, like, third, 20 or 30 pages at the end that was just Oscar, or they had their own separate issue that had all the ballads and the, like, predictions, and that's when I kind of, like, really started going in the statistics and uh, predictions and that kind of side of the Oscars. Uh, that, that Like I said, yeah, that was the one that kind of, like, grabbed me and and never let me go from then i am absolutely going to be hounding ebay to find a copy of this issue of yeah. this magazine. i, I looked for it because I, I i thought i had brought some like i brought them from home and i looked like at all my boxes here but they're not here so they're somewhere in my childhood home uh because i did That's not let gr- them go <laughs> That's a great year to sort of unlock you too, because uh, there was a ton of excitement around that and a lot of, and it was, you know, not only for, uh, obviously like you, uh, coming from the reaction from Mexico and all that, but it was also just like this new generation of talent Mm -hmm. kind of in general also. Right. And the fact that like subsequent to that, all three of them have won four total best director oh, yeah. uh, Oscars mm-hmm. since then mm-hmm. like that's pretty rad wait yeah, no five that, that day five I don't think any of wins. them won like an Oscar themselves like I know a bunch of like they won mostly in craft and like I know they're like actual Mexicans did win but I don't think any of them won that year um but yeah it's it's, it's funny looking uh back and 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 see that oh like yeah that, yeah. that there was that five-year period where like it was the three of the three of them and like vanishes out well and that's an oscar narrative that would carry on for another decade and a half still um where you see them either in like concurrent races or like presenting awards to each other yep yeah so uh yeah so that was yeah i I just got uh the 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 nationalism i swapped swept me into the the, the Oscar life that I lead now, which 
Because it was what? It was from 2013 through 2018. They won five out of that six. Uh, those three won five out of the six Best Director Awards. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing for them. Also, we should mention our patron saint of this podcast, Salma Hayek. We would not have oh. her great blessings were it not for that Oscar year. So, of course. Yeah. Yes. that It all started with it. I, I, at that point, I still was not... You know, waking up at uh, right. six fifty in the morning that to insane, watch that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, but but yeah, same patron of of this podcast and of my household. So, uh, yes. I am so here you are. A picture of her in my desk right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Here you are, though. Now, Oscar obsessive of uh, many years, and so we asked you to be on the podcast, and we said pick a movie, and you came back. And you said, I want those big eyes. I want those big eyes and those big lies. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. wh- uh, explain yourself. Talk, t- yes, tell us course. why. What yeah. made that be the, the one for you? I, you were so happy that we hadn't done it. Um, I so I'm like really excited. No, to I was so happy you hadn't done it because I, like, I responded to you guys. Like I was just like praying that it was still on that list that you uh, sent me. Um, yeah, so this movie is less about the movie itself and more about the people involved with it because um, Tim Burton was just, like, such a... I mean, and I I know this is, like, the most unoriginal take of, like, anyone who loves cinema, but, like, Tim Burton was, like, super influential in crafting, like, my yes. cinematic tastes. Um, and I think, I, Joe, I think you, you described it in one of the past episodes as, like, a tour cinema 101. Um Yes, I'm cribbing that one from a friend and past guest of our show, Griffin Newman, who said it on his podcast. Got it. Uh, when they did their Tim Burton series, it was, yeah, it was basically like, that's your beginner, beginner auteur, almost sort yes. of like your training wheels auteur. And it's like, and as soon as he said that, I was just like, holy shit, yes, like, that's my experience exactly. Yeah, exactly. So so that's kind of what I, what I had with it. It was like the first... Um, director where i could track a a a consistent style and themes uh because you know it's so vibrant and so identifiable uh throughout his like early work uh and and i was like and you know as 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 all of us were like pretentious cinephiles at 13 and 14 is like oh this is film you know this is what (laughs) cinema looks (laughs) like and it was like, oh, it was a little bit dark for thirteen years old, right? Where oh, it's just like, yeah. oh, like Batman, obviously, like every all the it's very stylized and very you know gothic and whatnot. And then Edward Scissorhands is you know uh, mysterious and weird and strange. Mm-hmm. And even like, and it's it's that thing where because all his movies not only had this very identifiable visual style that you could absolutely track through the different movies without having to be like really studied in the, you know, finer points of film. Oh, totally. But also they were very accessible to younger people, right? Like you were a kid. So you watched Pee Wee and you watched Beetlejuice and you watched, uh, you know, the Batman movies and that. So you, you were, you could be well-versed in Tim Burton cinema from like a very young age. Oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. And there's, I mean, he also has this consistency of the people he works with. So like, you know, yes. the, the it's the the movies sound the same, look the same, the the actors most of them are the same. So you know, it does give you like this like crash course in in filmmaking just like by right. watching his movies. You and, could start um, to tell what a Danny Elfman score sounds exactly. like. You could see Absolutely. what like a yeah. Bo Welch uh, set sort of looked like, or yeah. and um, he would he would hop between you know uh, Stan Winston and who's the other. Uh, uh, makeup guy whose name I'm forgetting now. 
Um, but anyway, oh, I'm going to kick myself. I also think the thing about Tim Burton, too, um, he kind of, because he never really got arrested with Oscar for, like, the movies that are his good ones, probably for, like, snobby reasons, it makes, like, some of us who are, or shall we say used to be fans of his, like, feel... Not like a grudging sense, but like, uh, you know, like a rallying point. You yeah, know, like no, the, totally. It's Leo, like, where were you when, you know, because I, I do think like there is a, a widespread appreciation for his earlier films that I don't know if, you know, existed when you know they came out uh, in, in the larger, like not just craft, uh, but yeah. but um, storytelling and, and, and mood and whatnot. Um, and also, mm-hmm. I mean, I do want to mention like. Mexicans in particular are obsessed with Tim Burton's uh, filmography. I don't know if it's like the relation with like Day of the Dead and like the goth, but like it, it's like, like the uh, Beetlejuice kind of made that resonate from the beginning. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's Beetlejuice, but it's I mean, it's I mean, and I don't, I know we say like Nightmare Before Christmas is not a Tim Burton film, but it is a Tim Burton film. Um, yeah. You know, like that, and and Edward Scissorhands, and and like all that imagery, like it's like I don't know, it's so like Mexicans really respond to him, and they like love him. Uh, so uh, that was also just like very I, I don't know because again I didn't grow up, so I don't know what the relationship with him is as a culture, but uh, and then and back home he's like very revered. Uh, so that's also a, a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I so, feel yes. like. It- so sorry, sorry go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, and I feel like in America, it was he was definitely somebody who he was, you know, a filmmaker. A lot of people talked about, but he was always seen as like Tim Burton, the outsider. Tim Burton, the persona who, you know, Edward he sort of looks like Edward Scissorhands, right, mm-hmm. with the hair and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was a lot of what his kind of reputation was among at least mainstream cinema press, which was, uh, you know, Tim Burton, the sort of like outsider weirdo, which is the thing that tracks through um, the movies that see like the quote unquote, like more serious Tim Burton movies, which like this movie mm-hmm. and Ed Wood obviously twin together very well because of yeah. uh, the screenwriters, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski wrote them both. And they're both about, um, Artists whose work is not uh, respected or even, like, is of questionable quality, which yeah. I find fascinating. That like or both of, Right. Like, both of those movies seem very tied to what the Tim Burton persona is, and yet Tim Burton didn't write either one of them. And, like, they're both essentially projects that came to him, and yet they seem so tailored to his story. Yeah, it's also super interesting that he's not a writer, that he's just, right. you know, a director. Mm-hmm. And yet all of his, at least early films, and uh, like, they are also thematically. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, like, even, the, even yeah. the ones that don't feel like, like, even like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it's about mm-hmm. like, outsider Willy Wonka, who, you know, had to create a chocolate factory because his, you know, father didn't want him to eat candy. And yeah. The Alice in Wonderland movies become like very much about these like these outsider tales, and so you're right. It's it's very interesting that he is not a writer director, and yet there's still such a strong thematic through line. It's not just stylistic. It's like really like his Batman movies, especially Returns, becomes about 
this sort of Tim Burton-esque outsider character. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the villains. The the writer-director thing, I think, is interesting in terms of maybe why he never actually gets embraced by, like, the critical establishment or, like, the prestige establishment with, like, Oscar. But I also think that, like, you have this combination of, yes, it's the, like, weirdo outsider. Um, His movies all have, like, a dark undercurrent to them or a dark, like, you know, design to them. But it's also that he was a populist. Yeah. And I think Mm -hmm. that, like, his movies are all very popular, especially, like, the first decade of his career. Um, In that, like, when you have that combination, it allowed people while he's doing his best work to view him somewhat snobbishly yeah and i think now we still kind of a lot of people view him snobbishly because he's really leaned into the populist side and it feels like we haven't gotten you know the true tim burton movie we've wanted since like sweeney todd yeah yeah that's like my my cutoff point (laughs) kind of um yeah i mean and this kind of ties to like why i picked this movie because i um yeah, so so my when when I was kind of having my um, Oscar, uh, you know, awakenings, you can say it was kind of yes. like tied at the same time where like his his like pedigree was like going down. You know, it was like around um, Sweeney Todd, and and I mean, I don't have to go into this, but like Alice in Wonderland is one of the most disappointing movies I have ever seen in my life. Yep, um, mm-hmm. because yep. of how hype I was for it and just how poorly it delivered. Um, it was my first like big disappointment of like, oh, this is, you know, what happened to you? Um <laughs> and and yeah, and when this was announced, it was like, oh, he's like pulling back. He's like uh uh like kind of letting go of this like big studio kind of like uh um yeah a sh- like shiny thing that he had been doing for a few was and like oh maybe he can like pull back uh uh and, and come like strip down and go back to basics it Uh, wasn't a remake it wasn't mm pre-existing ip it was like it was an original screenplay that was like based on a real person and real people but it was nothing that had been like published before or anything like that so it it felt like mm -hmm. there was a lot of promise and a lot of hope to this movie. yeah and like like we said he like reuniting with the ed wood screenwriters and um you know, Amy Adams, which I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, so like all of these pieces just kind of like uh, uh, came together and, you know, we got what we got. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so so this was this was like a beacon of hope in my, you know, Team Burton journey, um, you know, which at the end ended up being, you know, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of salvageable things about this movie, but um I don't think we yeah. have gotten back like completely. No. No. I, the the Tim Burton that I think we the three of us all like were like rooting for in this way because of the outsider thing. Like I think that Tim Burton is unfortunately gone. Yeah. For reasons I'm sure we'll get into. Um but maybe we should move on to the sixty second plot description. Yes. Alright, so guys. We are here to talk about Big Eyes, directed by the aforementioned Tim Burton, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. I will have some things to say about that. Starring uh, the divine Amy Adams, Christoph Waltz, Danny Houston, Kristen Ritter, Jason Schwartzman, Terrence Stamp. The movie uh, premiered, I'd remembered it as premiering at AFI. They did the premiere for this movie through LACMA, 
on the night of AFI closing, which is interesting. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's very pointed. And, like, definitely uh, went into the kind of, like, poor initial reactions for the movie that made it have its uh, underwhelming uh, debut uh, on wide release on Christmas Day 2014. Jorge, you are our guest. Uh, we have tasked you to do the 60-second plot description yes, for the motion picture Big Eyes. Are you uh, ready for the task? I, I'm as ready as I will ever be, so uh, <laughs> let's, let's do it. All right, if you are ready, your 60-second plot description for Big Eyes starts now. Okay, so Amy Adams plays a woman named Margaret, who when we open, she's leaving her uh, awful for her husband. Uh, she leaves the suburbs to San Francisco in the 50s, and because she's a woman, uh, she can't work or do anything. She can only paint, and she paints uh, these uh, children who all have the titular uh, Big Eyes. Uh, she goes to the park on weekends to do portraits. So that's where he meets. Uh, she meets Christoph Waltz. Uh, who's this uh, painter called uh, Walter Keane, uh, who approaches her, and they start flirting, and they hit it off. And she, in order to keep custody of her ch- uh, child, uh, decides to uh, marry him for custody. Uh, then they decide to rent space in order for her to showcase their paintings. Uh, one people approaches her, and uh, he takes credit for all of her paintings. Then um, this all snowballs becomes an international movement in which uh, she's kept inside to paint as he takes credit for all of it. Then uh, after a big commission for the welfare Fantastic. that uh, is destroyed by a critic, uh, they have a fight uh, in which he, she discovers that he has actually not a painter. She moves to Hawaii and asks for a divorce. Uh, he will only give it... And that's time! I, wow, that's... I could not even get to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, cross-examining the, himself. Um, <laughs> dreadful uh, movie-ruining courtroom scenes? Yes. Uh, yeah, the cross-examining himself part, yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Alright, so let's, we should, let's, let's just lay it out here right at the beginning. There's a lot lacking about this movie. It's tough to say that one element ruins it. I think yeah. there would be problems no matter what. But, like, Christoph Waltz does his damn best to ruin this movie, right? At every turn, but especially in <sighs> the final act of the movie. Yes. Um, yeah, Christoph Waltz is incredibly miscast in this movie. Incredibly. The whole um, point of the beginning of it is, like, you have to believe that, that she would be drawn to him in some way. He's, like, the most, like, he's the least charming person I've ever seen in my life in this movie. And it's just like, and it like absolutely strains credulity that she would have like been drawn to him, even if she did need like, uh, you know, security and, you know, uh, she, you know, had a moment where she needed to have a husband in order to sort of get by or whatever. But like, it just, it makes no sense. And so then his, like his turn into like, uh, insidious villainy down to like super villainy by the end where he's literally like Cobra Commander launching a nuclear assault <laughs> on her life by the end and it's like it just there's no arc to it because it's just like oh he looks like freaking you know Dirk Dastardly or whatever from the from the opening moments that he's in the thing it's it's like they have no chemistry together not at which all. I don't feel like is Amy Adams's fault. It's definitely like, and like maybe it's not Christoph Waltz's fault because he is so miscast. But then like the other dominant trait of him is this like uber grifter, like con, con man, man yeah. who like 
Waltz's performance leans into it so hard mm-hmm. and like leans into it harder and harder and harder as the movie goes on that it's like ghoulish at a certain point. Totally. Uh, yeah. And and I'm I I wonder how much this is like Christoph Waltz's persona coming to bite him in the ass in the end, you know? Um, right. Cuz it's yeah, from from the very like from that scene in the park where there where he just approaches her and like they start talking. Like I'm just expecting him to like just be polishing a dagger on the back of his, you know, as, as he's talking right. to her. Um, like th- this is like, yeah, I don't buy why she fell in love with him in the beginning at all, and I think this is, you know, I I think Inglorious Bastards was both the best gift and the biggest curse for Waltz's career, in that you know we just the villainy of, of that uh, role, just like it's bleeding into everything, every, or at least for me, everything else he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, that when I, when, you know, the movie asked me to, to, to buy it, to buy him as someone that, you know, will be as charming and, and, and will that it, 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 it based on his charm that like why this woman will, will stay with him for like security and whatnot. Right. Like, I'm just not mm-hmm. like, um, well, and also that he could deceive everyone else, yeah. too. It's not just Margaret. It's not just the way he treats Margaret. Mm-hmm. But, like, we also have to believe that, like, people would conceive that he painted these po- yeah. these paintings beyond just, like, societal misogyny, right? right. Totally. Yeah. And he, it, it's not just that he isn't charming in a relationship. It's that we don't feel like the art community ultimately being charmed by him or the people that buy him. Because one thing I do think is interesting about the movie is that it kind of draws these distinctions between the art community who's always seen him as a con man or this like yeah. weird, like, you know, lamprey on the side of the art community. And like, <clears throat> when the work actually takes off, it's more populist tastes. Um, right. Yeah. And that it, it's more profitable than it is seen as good art, right? But it's very profitable. That's even like the Andy Warhol quote about how, you know, if it wouldn't, if it weren't great, people wouldn't like it so much. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's Warhol sort of being a little bit cheeky and just being, you know, well, you know, it's good because it's, it's marketable because it's profitable. Yeah. Um, I wonder in terms of like the the miscastness of Walt, and I know that like him being older than her, Walter being older than Margaret is part of the story, both in that that was real life, but also that, you know, he's a kind of, you know, paternalistic, domineering, condescending figure to her. But like somebody like Ewan McGregor, aged, you know, 10 years up or something like that. Mm-hmm is sort of more what I feel like this role needs, right? Somebody who can be or initially very charming, very... Oh, Giamatti's an interesting angle, too. But just somebody who can be initially charming, and then who that charm, you sort of, like, start to see where it frays on the edges. My thinking of this was, like, a Matt Mickelson kind of person, you know? Oh, yeah, um, yes. Because um, I think, you know, uh, I don't know, sexual charisma could also be a lot of helpful in, in this... Uh, also that, yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I actually don't have too much trouble by, like, buying the the skeevy, like, realtor side of the character from Christoph Waltz, you know? But I feel that's because that's supposed to feel, like, like weaselly. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, the balance with the, uh, with the, like, 
quote-unquote softer side that he needs to buy is like completely off and while i think right. that the courtroom scene is like wildly entertaining uh and and like as a scene of itself it's amusing to watch yeah. like it's just like almost like just... entirely because james sido is so funny as the judge i feel like <laughs> i think all of his reactions i think are very funny um that at least sort of like saves that for me oh yeah but n- totally but but yeah but but in context with the movie and i th- and this is something i i got a kind of an issue i had with the movie in itself and the, like it, it seems a lot like individual scenes that do not seem to like string well together um right no agree yeah yeah and the the like t- not it's i think on an individual scene basis the tone is not right from scene to scene but then the like story arc has real like i guess i don't want to say story building but like what is the arc of this movie it feels very flatline for most of it 100% yeah, yeah. And, well, and it's and fun. I don't know if that's Tim Burton being in like a reactionary mode to like the type of films he was making, the reception he received for those movies, right? In that, like, he's trying to be low key so much that it becomes just way undercooked as a movie. Yeah, it feels it feels so restrained and not the good way, you know? Because yeah. I think there's mm-hmm. like glimpses that I think if he had leaned into them would like elevated the movie so much. Like I, I wanted more of like, you know, the, the supermarket scene. I love that supermarket yes. scene with, you know, mm-hmm. seeing the, the big eyes everywhere and, and just yes. leaning into, <laughs> into the, the surreal, either surrealism or like magical realism aspect of, yes. of, of the story. Um, If it had leaned more into that, I think it would have added like a completely different layer to the story. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. That's the sort of kernel of what's really interesting about this story is that the the sort of outer layer of the story is that she's a wife whose husband is usurping her talents and her creative output and is claiming them as as his own. And she's got to find her way out from under that. But like but the thing that's really interesting as like not exactly a meta narrative, but like as a complicating thing is like, is the stuff about the fact that like, even with the work as her own, it's not supposed to be great artwork. Like we're supposed, we're rooting for her because it is hers and it's her work. But like the fact that the outside world really stands firm and never really comes around on the fact that they, that the outside world and the art world, especially does not respect this work and thinks this work is pretty trashy or at least like, or overly sentimental or aggressively, you know, mediocre or whatever. Like this is, I, I thought the Terrence stamp character is really interesting. I was like, Oh, this is the first time I've, I can think of where a critic has been written into a film where he's like, he's not wrong. Like he's not uh yeah. bitter or like he holds stands to his guns and you're just sort of just like, yeah, like he's not being intimidated by Christoph Waltz. And you almost like not exactly root for him, but like you respect that critic character at the end. And it did See, remind I me a lot of had like, uh, there's, there's a moment when uh, like Christoph Waltz blows up at him where it feels like the movie wants to have, a certain comment that I think is really interesting that this movie is coming from Tim Burton, um, that part of our perception of what art is can come from who we think the 
authorial voice is Mm -hmm. for that work, right? And so for a moment, you kind of question if that critic, specifically the Terrence Stamp one, or, you know, the audience that despises uh, this work, if part of that perception is because they hate Christoph Waltz so much. So you're... Um, so. But that would be, like, I wish the movie then, if that's the case, would have gone into that then. If the idea is that, like, oh, if we knew that this was Margaret Keene's work, we might have appreciated it more. That's an interesting take, too. That's the version of the movie that I want it to be. And I think it drops that thought in there, but it doesn't expound on it. It's not, like, the primary idea. Oh, yeah. There there are so many. Burton accesses the story with. Yeah, I I think by far the most interesting thing about the movie is, like, the thematic kernels of drops that never really like blossom. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think the movie has very interesting ideas about authorship and, um, right. Uh, you know, ownership and, and, and credit and, you know, what is the value of art and whatever that are hinted at, but never fully like, yeah. Uh, explore. Well, and, and it obviously it makes me think of Ed Wood so much. And you mm-hmm. think of with Ed Wood where that was also a story about how somebody's, you know, passion and, you know, pride in their work still comes to something that is uh, not objectively not good, but is sort of like widely seen as bad, as like not of good quality. And yet in Ed Wood, that is also part of the kind of poetry of you know, his filmmaking and his world is so colorful, you know, ironically, because it's in black and white, but like (laughs) his, everybody around him, he's got all these sort of like interesting Mm -hmm. uh, characters and and people around him. And his, that story is so vibrant because of that. And there's a, there's a flatness at the center of big eyes that doesn't hold up. Yeah. I was going to mention, yeah. Cause I, I rewatched Ed Wood before watching this just because it had been like such a long time and I just, wanted to to refresh yeah. myself on that and yeah what the the thing uh that kind of jumps out at me the most is uh and this is kind of like a pivot to the amy adams character is that you know in edward it's so palpable the love that edward has for the thing he's making even if it's yeah. mm-hmm. considered on the outside as you know bad uh but you 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 can you understand like his love and his emotional investment and what it means to him and I'm lacking that completely for Margaret Keane. Like, I don't understand why she's so invested or, like, what these paintings mean to her. Um, yeah. Or, like, what's what's the emotional stakes for her at this? It's, it's like... Um, right. Like, yeah, intellectually, I understand that it's hers and, like, she wants, you know, the, the, the recognition that she uh, deserves and whatnot. But, like, I... Like, I never understood why she loves to paint or, like, why she loves to paint that, you know, those big eyes. Even, like... There's that scene where, like, Christoph Waltz is making up, like, why he would have painted those, you know. That, right, and, right. And I'm like, that's is, more, that makes more sense than whatever you're saying that Margaret is painting for. But mm-hmm. that's, the movie is so fascinated. Like, the movie is kind of animated by that question of, like, the movie keeps asking her, why do you do this? And he asks her that on a couple occasions. And sometimes she says the thing about the eyes being the windows to the soul. And sometimes she sort of just, like, looks at her daughter and whatever. And she, like, the movie never really answers that question. And maybe the idea is that there is no answer. But what's fascinating about that is that all of those times that that uh, Walter 
needs to come up with mm-hmm. his own like fakey fake reason and they're all these very like oh my i had sisters and my you know my mother took care of me and all this kind of like grafting false biographical details on it and that's really interesting because that flips back into what we were saying about burton earlier where people keep sort of grafting this uh authorial tie to Burton and his stories when again he's not the one writing these stories he's only coming to mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. as a director and yet everybody is trying to be like oh Edward Scissorhands is basically about Tim Burton as yeah. a as a child or like you know Pee Wee Herman is a very Tim Burton-esque character or Ed Wood or Willy Wonka or all these things and I thought that could have been I mean, maybe that's just sort of like for us to just like because we know so much about this and that's almost like an Easter egg for us. But like it did seem like the mm-hmm. movie has these really interesting things to say about what we expect from creators and how much of like their own story is put into it. But yeah. again, it just like lays flat here and doesn't really go yeah. anywhere. Because I, I still it's feel a, the movie feels- like it's trying to tell us that Margaret paint for something or like there's a reason behind it because i do think it would have been really interesting if like we got the impression that she doesn't know what like why she's painting but i do think the movie's trying to like give us some perception of emotional depth from her and amy adams is really good at doing that um yeah but also down to the fact that they cast to to be like oh, she doesn't know why she's painting, but, like, the movie doesn't even address that. Like, she's just like, yeah, she paints, she cares, but, like, because kind of thing, you know? Honestly, like, the thing that, like, I think it is closest to doing that still would be really interesting as, like, her, like... Her, the only philosophy we get from her is that, quote, the the eyes are the window to the soul, and, like, you do see a progression of her work that, like what the movie includes of her work throughout the story as she's basically, like, locked in a tower to paint because he demands her to. Right. You do see, like, the shift in her psyche and her um, emotional state through the paintings that she's doing. Yeah. Um, and, like, it does... It feels even more like a missed opportunity because it's right there to at least say, if she doesn't know why she's painting them, they are within, you know, this, what some people are calling kitsch, they are a reflection of where she is at at different points for life. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it feels like it even misses that. Yeah. Well, right. We're like to the point where when she becomes this sort of, like you said, like locked in a tower left to paint, that is when her muse sort of takes her to these different types of figures, right? She's not, she doesn't mm-hmm. want to paint the big eye, uh, big eyed waifs anymore. She wants to paint these sort of slender faced, sad <laughs> women. And yeah. obviously that feels very uh, thematically uh, tied to all this um i want to quickly though sort of bring us outside of the realm of the movie and talk about this as a you know cultural entity and an oscar entity because i yes mm-hmm. when this m- had a long life of different casting right yes. so i had no idea chris you put that in the outline and i was i mm-hmm. i guess i hadn't heard these uh Updates on it. The first I'd ever really heard about this movie was they announced it as the the Burton, Amy Adams, Christoph Waltz thing. But this because mm-hmm. ha- Burton actually came on to the movie late. Right. I don't remember of any directors being attached, but the initial casting well, that was for well, no, that's not true because Alexander and Karasuski yes. were going to initially direct yes. it, um, and that was set up with Kate Hudson and Thomas Hayden Church, who. I'm not sure about Kate Hudson, but like Thomas Hayden Church looks remarkably like Walter Keane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
So that was the initial one that like fell off the map for a few years. I think it was one of those situations that it was like about to start filming within a few weeks and fell apart. Um, eventually attached Reese Witherspoon and Ryan yeah, Reynolds. That's strangely. that's the cast I uh, I remember hearing about that cast. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember being very excited to have... Because I, I think at that point Tim Burton had, was attached uh, to direct. Because I remember thinking, like being very excited to have Reese Witherspoon in a Tim Burton project. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah because, that would have been amazing. Yeah, because she's sort of like the anti Tim Burton woman, you know, she's like every, like every, everything that Tim Burton leading ladies is not, you know, there's like blonde, bobbly, mm-hmm. uh, right. perfect. Right. There's um, nothing sort of gothy about her. Or anything yeah. Like that. And I, I would have loved or to hipstery. see not like, not Reese Witherspoon play a Tim Burton character, but like see what Tim Burton could do with a Reese Witherspoon persona kind of character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I hope that happens at some point, but, um, yeah, I remember being very excited about that. I, and I the don't Ryan, think Ryan Reynolds, Reynolds would have been good. But. Well, but the Ryan Reynolds thing is interesting. He's way too young, obviously, especially if mm-hmm. you end up casting Christoph Waltz, because like Ryan Reynolds, I don't know their actual ages, but like Ryan Reynolds uh, projects as younger than Reese Witherspoon on like a maturity level, at least. So like, yeah. that dynamic. I also fear there. we would have just gotten Deadpool as Walter Keane. Right. You know, the, the very Ryan Reynolds brand of humor. But he does I have mean, that we, ability. We did get a superhero villain. I don't know what year. Like, we did. We did but he that. does that. <laughs> he does have that ability to be initially charming in a way that wears away uh, steadily. In a way that, like, that to me, at least on a persona-wise, this is why I sort of say, like, Ewan McGregor. Like, a an older, with more gravitas type, but that, you know, who can who can at least... Ryan Reynolds would at least have made me buy that somebody would have initially been drawn to him for yeah. some reason or another. And found him charming. Right, or right, right, right. The thing about these casting announcements, though, like the casting history of this movie, is that it set it up in, like our minds as a potential Oscar property before even Tim Burton um, got involved, right? Like, and then it just kind of evolves into this other thing of, like, Tim Burton and that never-awarded narrative um, right. that he has with, like, people like us Oscar obsessives. Yeah. Well, and even the fact that it was Alexander and Karzewski, who I know, Chris, you are not fans of, but they've, they've had a no. good touch with... Uh, screenplays about real life people who the movies about them have had Oscar success where they did Ed Wood. We've said they did the screenplay for the people versus Larry Flint, which was a best actor, best director nominee for uh, that year. They did the screenplay for man on the moon, which came close to getting Jim Carrey an Oscar nomination. He obviously won a golden globe for that. And then uh, Dolomite is Dolomite is my name, which was their most recent one, which got a Golden Globe nomination for Eddie Murphy. Probably should have got him an Oscar nomination. I thought he was great yeah. in that. And then obviously on television, their big success is they wrote the American Crime Story season one, the O.J. Simpson season, which was like mm-hmm. for Ryan Murphy hugely yeah. acclaimed. And and they and they were for as much as every time a review of that series that season was like, I can't believe Ryan Murphy, a Ryan Murphy show isn't like going off of the rails in the back half or whatever. And I think they got a lot of the credit for being sort of the anchor that held that thing together when Ryan Murphy's reputation is always like, you know, yeah. it starts off well and then he loses the plot some way along the line. And, and 
So, like, that was obviously a huge success for them. So, like, they do have an ability to sort of seek out these really fascinating uh, people and and to tell their story in a way that feels very uh, ready to work with people like Milos Forman and Tim Burton right. and mm-hmm. Ryan Murphy. These My sort of issue like, with them as screenwriters, though, because there there's other projects besides these like biopic ones, but like they're known for their biopic movies. You mean you, you mean, you, you mean like, Agent Cody Banks is not a biopic? No. <laughs> do you well, mean the that biopic. darn cat remake yeah. didn't do it for you? Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, it did indeed. Um, Christina Ricci, <laughs> icon. Big, um, speaking of no, big eyes, they're, all of their biopic um, movies, like it was their script was my issue with Dolomite. It's my major issue with People versus Larry Flint, where it's like all of their movies are the same movie, no matter who their like subject is. Like, I think Ed Wood is the one that transcends it the most, but like, well, but Dolomite is my name. Is, it's very much Ed Wood also. Right. Like, and like, I think, I, I think that's the thing that I, I do really like that movie, but the thing that held me back was their script of it. And like, I think it, Ed Wood is not the case of this, but, like, the further they've kind of gone on in these, like, biopic careers is, like, the things that are interesting or the things that are edgy about some of the people that they are depicting, that they're telling the story of, the fact that they structure things so, like, similarly, where it's, like, you can just fit these story blocks in the same emotional beats, it, like, takes away what is so interesting about these people or what is like uh, subversive about these, some of these people. Um, yeah. Their scripts usually just drive me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this movie was no exception. Yeah. This movie suffers from uh, that a lot. And um, the fact that they do tend to work with these auteurs does feel like it, it helps them out uh, a great deal in that regard. Mm-hmm. And so when, the, when the casting turnaround happens again and then all of a sudden we move into burton's there amy's there this is going to be sort of the next upcoming movie this is where it becomes that you know shows up on my radar and we should also say that at in some point in this transition before um or like right before tim burton coming on it also became a weinstein co right right and yeah we'll talk about that in a second partly why i think we could blame the Christoph Waltz casting happening on that because I yes that makes sense to me mm-hmm. he already has his two Oscars including one he's for a Weinstein Django, company a guy Weinstein yep 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 exactly but so this gets announced for as a Tim Burton movie and the second I saw that Tim Burton is making a movie called Big Eyes like a portion of my brain exploded because I was just like because <laughs> like for so many years I was like that is the Tim Burton I, I like I I said this in these these exact terms i'm like tim burton's weird thing with actresses with like little tiny faces and big giant eyes and it's like he's that that's been his dominant it's like winona ryder christina ricci um uh, bella heathcote in uh, dark shadows uh it's just like that's sort of his like gothy 
archetype. You know what I mean? The that's, three of that's us are thing. kind of projecting this whole thing on him of like, maybe he's attached to this movie because he's the misunderstood populist artist. <laughs> and if you ask Tim Burton, he's like, no, I, ju- I just I just like big I eyes. I just like big eyes. Yeah. I just like, and the fact that this was a yeah, project that existed. Yeah, he read the cover existed... page and was like, sold. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the fact that this was a project that not only existed before him as a movie, but like existed in real life decades before that, mm-hmm. that there was somebody out there who was as obsessed with little like girls with big eyes as much as okay i do i do have to mention because i was reading a bunch about uh the movie before um and i mean it 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 does say like tim burton you know loved margaret keenan was like an avid collector of 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 her artwork uh and he even had like portraits of lisa marie when he was dating her commissioned and a portrait of helena bonham carter commissioned which if you google it it's iconic. Um, if any art auctioneer in the post. Um, can point me to that one, I am ready to bid on it. I need it hanging <laughs> on my house. Um, they pro- she probably doesn't want it anymore because they're separated. So you know, just my my new uh, when I'm rich thing is I'm gonna buy that Margaret Keene portrait of Helena Bonham Carter. Um, <laughs> that would be a great statement piece to have. I yeah. Like. Oh yeah. Or so, the and the Joan Crawford foyer, like, Welcome to my or home. the Joan Crawford thing, right? The yeah. fact that that uh, there were so many uh, celebrities who wanted their their portrait painted mm-hmm. by Margaret Keene in that style, which is amazing. Like Joan Crawford's already somewhat of a larger than life figure. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but so then there so. This project then, again, we talked about it, it felt like a back to basics for Burton. It also felt like maybe this is the moment for Amy Adams. And it's funny that we think of, thought about it that way now, because in retrospect, it's like as much as Tim Burton's movies have had success with Oscars, it's never been in acting categories. Like even yeah. something like Big Fish, like Ed Wood as the exception, of course, Martin Lando wins the Oscar. Um, so good, so good. But like, even something like Big Fish, which had buzz for Albert Finney, and you know, possibly, uh, I think before people saw it, people were thinking maybe Jessica Lange, maybe Ewan McGregor. Mm-hmm. Um, but Albert Finney got like precursor stuff, but like that never quite mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. So, but then I think we all sort of talked ourselves into the fact that like Amy Adams is in a back to basics Tim Burton, like sew this one up, she's got it, y'all. And exactly, and it very aggressively did not happen. Are are uh, the only two? looked at uh sorry go ahead oh I, I was gonna say are the only two acting nominations from burton films are like martin landau and johnny depp for sweeney todd yeah uh they indeed oh, are God. um i actually looked into it too what uh uh if you guys were to guess what was the most amount of nominations a tim burton movie has ever received so sweeney would have gotten actor probably production design probably costume, costume perhaps makeup but it's not yeah. like yeah maybe my, Sweeney Todd with four would be my yeah guess. my guess was four too yeah it's actually three oh. three Tim Burton movies have received three nominations the ceiling for Tim Burton movies getting nominated yeah can you guess what those three movies are is Sweeney Todd one of them Sweeney Todd is one of okay. them Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland, oh, unfortunately, boy. is also one You're of them. You're totally right. Alice in Wonderland has two Oscars. Yeah, because um, that Oscar had that... needs to curl into a ball. They put the little Matt Hatter hat on the Oscar, the production yeah. design people. <laughs> 
bomb. <laughs> um, <laughs> is the third one Ed Wood? It is not. Okay. No, that one had two. Uh, I think Edward Scissorhands only had makeup, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Edward Scissorhands did only have makeup. And I think even, like, the first Batman had, like, just production design or something like that. It won for production design and had no other nominations. Was Is it, um... Is it, like, Sleepy Hollow? It is indeed Sleepy uh, that's Hollow. That's, of course, right, because Lubezki got nominated for cinematography. Uh-huh. And then I imagine costumes and production design, right? Uh, I believe so. I didn't write Or maybe visual effects. win was yeah. for, but it does have a win as well. Yeah, maybe visual effects for the Headless Horseman, actually, now that I think about it. I No, because that was a real actor. That was Ray Park. Oh. Well, then... There's yeah. probably some where it's uh, visual effects, but it's yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure that's Ray Park that did the Headless Horseman. I, I one will thing... say the costume design and production design of Big Eyes was pretty stellar. I, I really liked it. I agree. Yeah, they got that sort of um, garish, California, um, we just came into money kind of yeah. a house thing. Oh, that house. Kind of I love that house. I'm like, I, Me I'm too. To I would live in, in that house. <laughs> yeah. I would absolutely like rent that house for a weekend uh, for a vacation or something. For, like yeah, that. absolutely. A long weekend. Yeah. But yeah, you think about the, the thing about the early Tim Burton's is he does. We do sort of look at him as like, oh, he was an outsider. It took him to till until Ed Wood to like get respect or whatever. But like almost all of his movies have gotten something where like mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, I think, won for best makeup. Beetlejuice yeah. one for makeup. Um, you mentioned the Batman thing in what did I say? Production design. Mm-hmm. Um, Edward Scissorhands got something. A nomination for, for makeup. For makeup. Yeah. Batman Returns, I think, also got production design. Two nominations. Mm-hmm. Production design and costumes. Uh, let me look it up. I don't believe it's costumes. I think it's like makeup and sound. Oh, sound. Of course. Yeah, those Batman movies. The fact that the first Batman movie didn't get a sound nomination is also kind of wild. Was that still when sound would have been a special Maybe That's Mm. maybe true. You're right. You're right. And of course, Big Fish, famously, we can't do was this had Oscar Buzz movie because the the Danny Elfman score Mm -hmm. got nominated. Which Danny Elfman, it took forever to get Danny Elfman nominated, if I'm correct. Yes. I think that's like, right. That was the one of the like big narratives of Big Fish. Uh, no, Batman Returns was visual effects and makeup. So nothing so for no the sense. costumes for that fantastic uh, black leather uh, cat, yeah. cat suit? Oh. Like, my God. Usually you think of, like, when a, costu- when a movie uh, makes its costume design part of the narrative... Usually that's a boost, right? Because it like it shines that little yeah. spotlight on that fact. And the fact that like, you know, she, you know, sews together and staples together her little costume, you would have think that would have you would have thought that would have put it over the edge, but I guess they weren't prepared. Hollywood for wasn't Hollow, prepared. By the way, then. is art direction, which also uh was uh Sweeney Todd's Oscar. Yes, yeah. I do well, that's also Sweeney Todd winning that. <laughs> Burton really does sort of hook up with the the ace craft people i think we mentioned this a little bit earlier where it's like it's danny elfman it's colleen atwood it's dante ferretti it's uh bo welch we mentioned uh oh it's rick baker's the other makeup person who i couldn't think of besides stan winston but like he's worked with both Mm -hmm. of them um he's not he's not 
exclusive to anyone ex- with the maybe exception of Colleen Atwood. I feel like Colleen Atwood does all of his costumes, but I could be wrong. Um, but he just like, he works with the best of the best in those craft categories. And I think that helps him with getting uh, craft nominations for almost all of his stuff. Yeah. I, I think that's where his like animation background really comes into play. Ah, like, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. That's a real good point. The Burton movies with no nominations are Mars Attacks, mm. Planet of the Apes. Uh-huh. Um, Planet of the Apes is the only Burton I've never seen. Oh. It, it, it may be. The, that was the first time where I was like, oh no, we're losing Tim mm-hmm. Burton. <laughs> yeah, that was the warning sign. That was the big warning sign. Um, I remember Planet of the Apes was such a fraught production. I remember like reading in Entertainment Weekly that it was like they didn't finish the movie until a week before it got this Oof. massive wide release. Wow, are the cats of um, its time. Wow. I was gonna say it's weird that you could see Judy Dench's uh, uh, wristwatch in the in the shot. Yeah. Be- before Judy Dench in digital fur technology with Helena Bonham Carter, you know, and Tim that Burton ape did suit. want to have all of the apes buttholes. <laughs> <laughs> release the butthole cut of uh, Planet, of the, Planet of the Apes. They do have a butthole cut um, of Planet of the Apes, and it's yeah. Mark Wahlberg, so uh, that's fine. Wow. Uh, 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 you know, we we love to see um, uh, people who commit hate crimes naked. I don't know. No, I just meant that he's a butthole. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes exactly. <laughs> he is the butthole. He is the butthole cut um, the butthole of, uh, of Yes. Yeah. Uh, also not nominated by Tim Burton, Dark Shadows. Shut up, y'all. I had fun at Dark Shadows. It's kind of fun. I agree. It's, Helena it's Bonham fun. Carter is having a goddamn blast in that movie. I will say that. Like, she's just she having a good old time. Is. Underwhelming as a reuniting with, with Michelle, Michelle. Pfeiffer. Of course. But, of course it is. Yes. Um, uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar <laughs> Children. Movie, Jesus Christ. It is. Yeah. What do we what do we think about that? Like the fact that like Ava Green can make anything entertaining or yeah. fascinating to watch or whatever, except for the movies she makes with Tim Burton. I, I feel so bad for Ava Green because like she's the Burton girl in turn and she's just getting the worst end of the deal, you know? She um, really is. She like, uh, it's the wrong time to be hitched to that wagon. Yeah, for sure. exactly. Well, Miss Peregrine and Dumbo are the only Tim Burtons I haven't seen, and I truly am like, I could just watch them and say I've seen every Tim Burton movie, but like, as like like you were saying, Jorge, as someone who grew up loving Tim Burton, it really does kind of crush yeah. a piece of my soul to see where we've come. Yeah, well, and it's, I mean, Dumbo specific, like, Joe, have you seen Dumbo? Okay, here's my thing. I I know I've seen some of Dumbo. I fired it up on Disney Plus. I don't know if I ever finished it. Mm, understandable. Which uh, was my which was the fate of Artemis Fowl as well on Disney uh, Plus, where Artemis I definitely Fowl. started it and I don't think I finished it. <laughs> Dumbo is it's interesting also because it's like the whole theme of it is about how this like again outsider of an elephant outsider gets, elephant yeah gets, gets swallowed by this like theme park conglomerate like that's literally the the plot of it um so it's just hard not to read like tim burton's personal like production history into these kind of things Um, can't believe dumbo decided to direct a willy wonka movie that's exactly so it's (laughs) so yeah so it's all about like this this animal like losing its spirit because it's being like uh, exploited by this corporation um 
so it's interesting on that end. I, I don't think either of them, either uh, Miss, uh, it's Miss Peregrine, right? Not Miss Peregrine, yeah. no? Miss Peregrine? Peregr- uh-huh. Yeah, Peregrine, like <laughs> the Peregrine like or Dumbo are like, I don't know. I think they're interesting watches. If, if anything, to see just like, oh, he how he got there. Uh, Miss Peregrine was one of those movies that I went and saw at the theater. Um when I think I was home for a reason, so I went to my hometown theater over. I want to say Thanksgiving because I don't think Your it was Christmas a Christmas shopping movie. day. It might, well, that's sort of my my tendency is, to, but I don't think it was. Maybe it was in the second run theater by Christmas. I think that might have actually been it, and I, it was my Christmas my Christmas shopping movie. So yeah. Alas. Oh so that was one of those things where it's like my expectations were just like, oh, just is this movie a thing that I can sit in front of after I've been like shopping for a couple of hours? Yes. Okay. Then then that works. Well, That's fine. And I guess we should also mention that like it's his next project was announced, which is the um, the Netflix series, the Wednesday Addams Netflix series. Oh, you guys. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. From like, and it had this whole, the announcement has this whole like world built around it. Like, of course, Wednesday going to this academy, academy and doing, yeah. studying this. We all know that. We all know right? that Wednesday Adams went to a weird kids yeah. uh, boarding school notes. and yeah. solved crimes. Like, yeah, it's, it's the, the point at which we're at in terms of finding recognizable ip and burrowing down into like a morsel of it to uh to have something new quote unquote new to say a new angle on that or whatever it's to the point where like it's i kept i sat in front of my computer this is so sad to admit i was like trying to craft a tweet that would be like a sarcastic like oh i can't wait for x like micro uh character from like you know whatever like the third guy from the lollipop guild in the wizard of oz or whatever yeah. <laughs> but anything that i could think of i was like no that's too plausible Seems no plausible. that's probably yeah. already in the works like yeah. there is like we've passed the point of parody where like even the most insane sounding thing is just like no they'll probably do that yeah i i will say i am yeah, don't give them free ideas um excited is too much i i am intrigued to see burton in the tv landscape um because i do think one of the things of dark shadows is that it felt very i mean i guess piloty is a good word for, like it felt like it sure. could have been like, yeah. a, 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 a world expansion for it so i'm excited yeah. to I'm, I'm again excited i'm intrigued to see what he does with like long-term storytelling um and i'm also just holding like casting announcements um because I mean, if 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 there's like a reunion with like Winona Michelle or Catherine O'Hara like playing right, uh, right. Morticia, like I'll go with to it blindly yeah. and like I'm into that gag yes. over it. No, but, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I talk a big game, but like I I'm you know I'm a sucker as much as everybody else. I'll do it. Uh, the you, the thing about the pilot you mentioned made me think of. Am I the only one of the three of us who ever watched the Beetlejuice cartoon series? On I want to say no, Nickelodeon. I did. I I, I love. I remember. I remember it. I and like being on TV. I don't actively like engaged with it, but I it was yeah. it was fine. I watched all of it. Probably I don't remember a ton about it other than the fact of it. I watched it, but like every time I think back on it, it's so strange. Because at the end of Beetlejuice, 
if you want to say, oh, this leaves us with a lot of possibilities. She's living with Barbara and Adam. Uh, they have, you know, this odd little, like, family situation at home. There's everything to do with, like, the the other side and the handbook of the deceased and all that. All these, like, possibilities lay before you as a possibility of continuing the Beetlejuice universe. And then what the Beetlejuice cartoon decided to do was, what if Beetlejuice and Lydia were pals who, like... <laughs> got into scrapes and it's like okay but you saw the movie where he tried to like force her into child marriage so like that's an odd (laughs) little like that's your springboard and i get that if you're making a beetlejuice cartoon you kind of have to have beetlejuice in it as your you know main character i get that that's a challenge but like it was just so weird that like those were the only two crossover characters and they were like they were like um uh, Penny and her dog from Inspector Gadget. You know what I mean? It was like that kind of a thing. It was weird. And there's also been this endless conversation about a Beetlejuice 2, you know? Yeah, um, it's on his IMDb oh, please still. never let it happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I I want a Winona Ryder renaissance. Like, oh, don't we, we desperately I mean, yes. need it. Um, I'll take a Beetlejuice 2 if that means getting her back into the spotlight. Uh, but, you know... Yeah. Uh, she's down for it. All the interviews is like, I'm down for it, but you know, we will see. We'll see. We haven't talked about Amy Adams. Though. Yeah, let's do that. It's our first Amy Adams. We got to give her. Uh... So at this point, uh, the fever the f- the fever was high for getting Amy Adams that Oscar. She was coming off of American Hustle, which it feels like the the perception of that evolved of that performance really evolved from mm-hmm. people were ready to sort of throw her out with the bathwater with that movie where some people liked it the new york film critic circles certainly seemed to enjoy it and oscar voters did and all that but i think a lot of the critical reception to it was like oh like that's i don't like that and she was sort of like lumped <laughs> in there with you know jennifer lawrence and christian bale and all these others and then i think a lot of people, myself included, sort of starting to come around. It's like, but maybe Amy Adams is great in this. <laughs> she's incredible mm-hmm. in it, I think. My thing with- I think she's the reason that movie has a thesis. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's absolutely yeah. right. She certainly is the strongest sort of uh, gateway character in that. My thing with American Hustle is everybody has their own who's the best and who's the worst in American Hustle, and nobody has the same two. It's like fingerprints. It's like you're everybody's sort of best and worst. And it's 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 very telling. Whereas like some people think that Christian Bale is the best one, something people think think that Bradley Cooper is the best one. I am very much a Amy Adams best and Christian Bale worst, with Jennifer Lawrence as second worst, but like there's the science oven scene, and I love the science oven scene, so whatever. I, I really like Jennifer Lawrence. And <laughs> American Hustle is a I movie like I have I like seen once, uh, and I I have no interest in uh, revisiting it. Yeah. But uh, Amy Adams is, the, I, I do, that's my take out of like, oh, that's, um, she's the best part. And I enjoyed Jennifer Lawrence a lot. Uh, but again, I, my memories of it are like, what, eight years removed? So. <laughs> Yeah, we've been a while. Chris, who is who are your best and worst from American Hustle? I think I'm probably also best Amy, worst Christian Bale. Um, I mean, Louis C.K. is also in that movie, so we can all maybe put oh, him as our worst right. and feel fine I about mean, ourselves. Barely. I mean, maybe my number two is Louis C.K. or uh, 
sorry, Bobby De Niro, who <laughs> both of them are just like fully just stunt cameos. And it's right. It's I don't even remember what um, De Niro does in that. You know who else, though? Like, he's at the poker table. Right. I kind of like Renner in that movie. And I really like Elizabeth Rome in that movie. I was going to say Elizabeth Rome's probably my second favorite. Yeah. She's good. She she fully earned getting that uh, that role upgrade when they made Joy, and they're just like, okay, well, we're going to make you like fourth lead or whatever. <laughs> okay, so th- with Amy Adams though, and like still not having her Oscar after six nominations now. Yeah. The yeah. thing that I feel like it's I think Big Eyes is maybe the biggest reason that it's so surprising that Arrival. Um, that she wasn't nominated for it because, like, there's a lot of Oscar history, like, even people like Cher, where it's like, you don't get nominated for something when you're maybe sixth or seventh, and I think that Amy Adams probably was sixth or seventh, depending on how far Jennifer Aniston actually did get with Oscar voters this year. I'm I'm not so sure. The cake year. Um, This is the cake year. It is the cake year. Listen to our episode on cake. Um, Is that usually it can catapult the person for whatever the next one could be, especially if the next one is really good. And for whatever reason, maybe people thought, forgot about big eyes that quickly, which is probably true. Yeah, plausible. Yeah. But like not getting nominated for big eyes didn't help her in any way for Arrival. The thing about Arrival, though, is because Arrival was sci-fi and was like, I know it, it beca- it's a much more human story than like, but it's like, it is science fiction. And it was anticipated as such when people only really knew it mm-hmm. as a project coming down the line. Denis Villeneuve had a little bit of an Oscar Push through with Sicario because Sicario got a couple nominations, right? And yeah. uh, and uh, on Sundays, I believe was a right. Um, for but Germany. but he hadn't gotten to the point where he is kind of now, where even a project like Dune, which is heavy sci-fi, like very very heavy sci-fi, is now part of the Oscar conversation because Denis Villeneuve is seen as an Oscar director, and he wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. Arrival got him there, but he wasn't there yet, and so. Arrival, if Amy, if Arrival had come in the year like 2014, where um, the the Julianne Moore of it all coalesced later, and it yeah, took a while. That wasn't on anyone's yeah. map until the Toronto premiere. And so, if Arrival happens in 2014 instead of Big Eyes, where all of a sudden, by the time it took to like about mid to late November before people had really just figured out that like, Oh, arrival isn't just like a science fiction movie that people, you know, are going out to see, but like, this is real substantial, fantastic, a like a list top tier stuff. And by that point, Emma stone had really, really locked up lead in that category. And it was really tough to dislodge her from that. And so because of that, then the Amy Adams thing is allowed to sort of become one of the also rans and there isn't that urgency to it. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think we also kind of forget too, that with the exception of probably only June bug, like Amy Adams has never really been close to winning. Like she was definitely yeah. 
second place for American Hustle, but like she was, uh, Kate Blanchett was miles ahead of her in terms of yeah likelihood to win. I think she was probably second place for Vice, but like not particularly close. Close, yeah. Again, Regina King miles ahead mm-hmm. of her. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's... Well, and in two out of these, she's nominated against co-stars, so which, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. can't help that. We've said before that we th- we both think she should have won for The Fighter, that she deserved to win that Oscar. If anybody from that movie was going to win, it should have been her. She but is the best part of The Fighter, yes. These days, it feels like... There's that tendency where, especially now, you've gotten somebody who's gotten a lot of nominations like this, and when is she going to win one? And it's easy to sort of kick that can down the road and be like, well, she'll be back next time. We don't have to give it to her for Vice. We don't really love this performance in Vice. You know, we love her. We love Amy Adams. But, like, it's not like there's an urgency to give her performance as Lynn Cheney uh, an Oscar and she'll be back with she'll have another project if not next year then the year the year after so we'll kick that can down the road and that's how somebody ends up with 6 7 8 that's how glenn close happens that's, that's how, how you get a glenn close yeah that's how we end with glenn close winning for hillbilly right uh, cuz you kick that can far enough down the road and Meemaw picks it up and uh and it's it's all over so the outside chance that amy adams is like eighth place this year oh she could she, show up in the five yeah, i no. think she stands i think she's like fifth or sixth place right now mm-hmm. she's like dangling oh, fifth, on that corner no. i think she's dangling on that precipice who's ahead of her for sure who's definitely ahead of her i would say andrew day I would say Michelle Pfeiffer. If Michelle Pfeiffer wins the Golden Globe while Oscar voting or right before Oscar voting happens, Michelle Pfeiffer is getting nominated. I think Amy Adams is definitely currently ahead of Michelle Pfeiffer in that pecking order right now. Mm. And I think Andra Day is probably going to end up ahead of her, but like she's still like that movie is just getting seen now. Like, I think... Which is, I mean, for her performance, the level of performance she gives, I think that's probably a good thing. I do. Maybe. But, like, but who's, but so who's, like, name, who's the five? Who who are the five nominees the, that you think? I mean, I think the first four are pretty locked up. It is Carrie Mulligan, Mulligan, Violet Davis, Francis, Kirby, and Francis McDormand. Yeah. And then everyone else is competing for that fifth spot right now. Who knows? Maybe we'll be wrong and, like, Vanessa Kirby does not win. Um, or does no, not get nominated. I think currently Amy is no worse than sixth. Okay. I'm just I'm preparing everybody. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I am I am the neutral terminator in this fight, and I'm oh. just saying. I do think that because I think Glenn Close is pretty strong and probably winning, if that maybe helps carry Amy Adams to a nomination, we've seen stranger things yes, we have. than that. Yes, we have. Yep. So uh, this is always the the speculation. I get asked this every once in a while because people I know I'm a, I'm an Oscar nerd and they ask me Oscar nerd questions and they're like, "What kind of a movie? What'll it take for Amy Adams to win an Oscar?" And that's always such an odd question because I'm just like, it really can come in any form. It's all circumstantial. It's all about like you know what will hit. And so and I think Big Eyes was one of those things where oh she'll win for playing a real person. And it's yeah. just like, well, you know, that was a real person. I don't think Lynn it's Cheney that at this point person. because mo- half of her nominations are for her playing real people. Right. Um, or not half of them. Is it half of them? It's just the two. 
It's anyway. I think yeah. well, what the, it would take the American Hustle on. thing is always very squishy, right? Because that's based on a true story, based but all the characters story. are right. in some way or another faked up. Yeah, almost half if she gets nominated for Hillbilly Elegy. I think the thing it'll take is a movie that treats Amy Adams like she's a movie star. That's yeah. what I was gonna say. Because uh, yeah, all of I, I, I'm just reading at her nominations, and like in like all of them, she is not the performer of the movie. Neither of them, like. And none of them actually like she's either part of an ensemble or like a supporting character so yeah i agree that it has to be mm-hmm. like where she's a movie star and she's like front and center kind of like i mean like it, i don't see anyone ever winning for enchanted but it would be interesting to see what would happen if enchanted happened yeah, yeah. five years later. i, mean, I think yeah I've, I've always said and i'm I've, that would have been my oscar win for amy adams i think that's her best performance <laughs> it's an enchanted um yeah I think that's the best case scenario there. I, um, my soul has been murdered by the the Trump era, and so I have become something of a pessimist. Pessimist at times. I think the other side of that coin is it'll be for something, not necessarily hillbilly. She's not going to win for hillbillyology, but like it'll be for something that makes us mad. It'll be for something that we're just like, ugh. Like, really, after all this time, after all loving Amy Adams, it'll be Mm -hmm. something that we bitch about. The fact that everybody loved Laura Dern for that long and then decided they were going to get bitchy about Marriage Story, in which she's good. Like, if not great, I think she's great. I think at worst, she's good. And the fact that everybody got so pissed off about that, like, when Amy Adams eventually wins the Oscar, like, everyone's just going to be furious. Everybody's going to, you know, the public opinion's going to go negative on her so fast it's just like i i guarantee it yeah no that is the other option yes <laughs> <laughs> sorry again i i don't mean I know, to be the fair you know what she should have terror. she should have played tanya harding and that would have been her oscar oh uh, true <laughs> yeah. true i mean uh well okay so amy adams win, uh wins the golden globe for uh she comedy or music this movie she certainly does uh, win a comedy or musical uh, globe for a movie that is neither neither a comedy, a comedy or, musical. or a musical. Also, yeah. this was like a back to back win, right? Correct. Yes, because yeah. she had won the previous for, year for was it Enchanted? No, no it was American, American Hustle, Hustle, another movie that yeah. is neither a musical nor a comedy. Nor a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, depends on your perspective on comedy. Uh-huh. That's right, because she didn't win for Enchanted because that was the year Juno. Right? Of the non-broadcast. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, that, that lineup of, of her nominated for Enchanted is like an all-timer for me. Absolutely. Oh. It's, uh, I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. It's her. Marion Cotillard wins, obviously. Oh, Nikki Blonsky. Nikki Blonsky. Um, uh, Helena Elliot Bonham Page. Carter for Sweeney Todd. Helen- and uh, Elliot, Elliot Page, Page for Juno. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fantastic. That's like... Yeah. Half of the Oscar lineup? No, you're saying it's a better lineup than um, Helen Mirren for the Hundred Foot Journey, Julianne Moore for Maps <laughs> to the Stars, Kavanjane Wallace for Annie, and uh, Emily Blunt for Into the Woods. You're saying that's better than okay. That? But here's the thing: Emily Blunt and the Globes with musicals is always like, if Emily Blunt can't win the Globe for a musical performance, she is not. It is like the sign that she's not getting nominated oh, for yeah. it because like that was the thing with Into the Woods. That was the thing with Mary Poppins. The Golden Globes are Natalie Portman style besotted with Emily Blunt. And sometimes that 
is good in that they'll nominate her for the Devil Wears Prada, which is good and just and, you know, the universe approved. And sometimes that will mean, you know, in, she's not she's not bad in Into the Woods. She's I like, think she's good. She, I think she's one of the better parts of Into the Woods. I don't love that Into the Woods, but like... I don't either. That nomination was always going to happen. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I, I was fine with it. Um, Mary Poppins was one of... Mary Poppins Returns was one of those movies... I really wanted to like, and I walked out of there and I'd be like, Emily Blunt is good. And then it was just like, and the more I think about it, I'm just like, she's not bad, but like the only thing I will still stick up for in Mary Poppins returns is Meryl Streep, which I will stand by the fact that that was absolutely not. That is Meryl. Will you stand like upside down in your roof? Yes, I will. I am currently now upside down in my living room, standing Meryl Streep in Mary Poppins returns. I'm not giving that one up. I'm sticking by that one. That. I enjoyed that movie a lot, and then gave me hope that like Mary Poppins will become like 007, and that it's a title that <laughs> is passed along to like different actresses. <laughs> um, ben Whishaw's okay, already in it. Like, Mary yeah, you're, yes. you're yeah, you're kind of halfway there. Cast this for us. Who is the next Mary? Oh, Poppins? um, Gugum Bathara. Yes, amazing. I um, love that. I love that yeah. for her. And, and she for can us. sing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And she deserved better than the role she got in the Beauty and the Beast monstrosity. For yes. sure. Plumet. <laughs> <laughs> I um, will say, I, I always say whatever, whatever that movie is, that movie does give us Adder McDonald at the final frame of the movie. So, um, you know, if, if, if anything. Yeah. I also should say, I like The Hundred Foot Journey, Lassa Hallstrom's The Hundred Foot Journey. I don't think. That Helen Mirren's performance we'll reaches the level of deserves an awards nomination. But, like, it's the Golden Globes. And if they're going to give something to some a movie that hardly anybody saw, I was happy that it was uh, The Hundred Foot Journey. You say the Globes are besotted with Emily Blunt. They're with besotted a, with Helen Mirren. They definitely are. You, the person, you should know this better than anybody, um, noted Leisure Seeker. <laughs> That's right. I, I, My finest moment predicting Helen Mirren for the Leisure Seeker. Did she... Was her nomination for Woman in Gold a globe, or was that that SAG? That was, was SAG. That was SAG. Yeah. SAG it double nominee, gold, gold, the Woman in Gold SAG. and Trumbo. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Dynamo. Um, I famously... Well, it's also nominated Christoph Waltz yeah. in musical or comedy. That went to Michael Keaton for Birdman. We... Uh, nominated also Bill Murray for St. Vincent, Joaquin Phoenix for Inherent Vice, and should have been Oscar nominated Ray Fiennes for Grand Budapest mm-hmm. Hotel. The fact that the Grand Budapest Hotel got like 95 Oscar nominations and none of them were for Ray Fiennes is absolutely baffling to me still. Yep. Speaking like, of, of a movie that you and I do not like, but we do love him in it. I don't love it. I've only seen it the one time. I've been anxious to see it again. I remember the first time I saw it, it left a bad taste in my mouth. I'm just like, it It felt, remember how like For Your Consideration was like Christopher Guest being like, had soured a little bit. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what Grand Budapest felt like. I was just like, this feels like, I like my Wes Anderson with a little more, uh, I know this sounds insane to say, but like a little more whimsy than what we got. Mm-hmm. And like Grand Budapest Hotel just seemed like kind of like mean and violent at its core. And I was just like, okay, I don't know if that's yeah, what I come I to West I liked it. I think all the attention that Grand Budapest Hotel got should have gone to Moonrise Kingdom, my favorite. Absolutely. Uh, Wes Anderson. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of, you know, directors with whimsical, whimsical visual styles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wes Anderson is in a lot of ways um, a kind of 
cracked mirror uh, continuation of Tim Burton, right? Where it's like, again, an auteur style that you can pick up on very easily. Like, yeah, it's, it's very... Which sounds like a backhanded compliment, but I don't mean it as such. Like, it, but it's just like, it's, it's, you know, it's very easy to key in on what is a Wes Anderson style film. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it reminds me of this tweet. Uh, and, you know, we have come to this moment where I bring up ABBA. I'm sorry, guys. Yes, um, finally. Oh, <laughs> no, you were contractually obligated yeah. to do so. But I saw this tweet where it's like, ABBA is the sun and Fleetwood Mac is the moon. Um, uh. And it, it feels like Tim Burton is the moon and Wes Anderson is the sun. You know? Yeah. It's, it, it's that same energy for me. Um, yeah, for sure. excuse me yeah i think we can at least rest easy with the fact that christoph waltz was probably uh fifth out of five for that golden globe category like yeah yes i i I rewatched the speech uh before this and uh the only thing amy adams does say to him is like you're very charismatic your wife is a very lucky lady and uh i'm like okay she's so nice yeah, if that's the best thing you can find uh, to say about him, <laughs> I'm guessing it was not the easiest ride. To... Uh, um, I'm glad Amy gets her, you know, has her Golden Globes trophies. And the uh, I, it, it's fascinating to me, the actors who don't have, like, she has Oscar success in terms of nominations, but not wins, obviously. But the actors who the Golden Globes just love and the Oscars are just, like, not feeling it the same way. I was prepping for an article about the Globes earlier, and Donald Sutherland is nominated this year for The Undoing. It's, like, his ninth Golden Globe nomination. He's won oh yeah uh, twice before, both of them for television movies, for HBO TV movies. But, like, Famously never Oscar nominated or whatever. Um, but like the Globes fucking love him. Like just it's guys, we did it for Christopher Plummer. We can do it for Donald Sutherland too. Oh yeah, make it happen. Late in life Oscar Dynamo. Make that happen. Playing games. I always why not? said <laughs> I always said that Donald Sutherland should have got nominated for Pride and Prejudice the year that Kieran Knightley did. I agree. Oh, he was good. so good yeah, in that. Good performance. All right. The thing about Amy Adams that makes me say that she is sixth place and Jennifer Aniston was not is she was also BAFTA nominated. It's the Oscar lineup and she has Marion Cotillard's slot. Right, right, right. Yeah, the Weinstein Company, that was a weird year for them where it seemed going into that year that Big Eyes was going to be a big priority for them. Then the imitation game hits at Toronto, wins people's choice there. And that becomes, that's the horse now that they are riding. And they did ride it successfully all the way to a bunch of nominations, including Best Picture and Director and a screenplay win. Screenplay win. Um, And the imitation game is like the only thing that really landed with Oscar during that Christmas release window. Because uh, like Big Eyes never even cracks the top 10 of the box office and like leaves theaters very quickly. But like that was the Christmas that it was like Into the Woods unbroken the hobbit um and like imitation game like expanded wide and did well over christmas and like that was probably the best time for that movie how it looked with its chances with oscar yeah and then that campaign was so dreadful oh honor honor what is it honor the man honor Honor the the man honor the film christ honor the computer (laughs) (laughs) uh it's so like that film for I think that film succeeds on a very specific level, which is that uh, as a kind of um, 
thriller not like you know what i mean the 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 suspense and excitement parts of it where can they break the code or whatever all is done very very well and i think is a very like interesting and fun movie it's everything about the turing character and the way that it treats sort of his uh his sexuality his place in history all this sort of stuff is so um, objectionable and awful that it like it just sours me entirely on yeah. everything that like I do think like at its like for what it is trying to do it does pretty well but it should I be trying to do fine. so much more given this person you know this real life person I, I right. I'll say that without the imitation game I don't know if we would have gotten Tia Coffee's Alan Turing runway look so <laughs> If anything for that, I am grateful. We uh, give thanks. That it gave us that. Uh, I'm doing the keyboard uh, movement right now. (laughs) We cannot also overlook, as we said at the top, uh, Lana Del Rey's uh, near miss in original song. She was Globe nominated in Mm, Critics' Choice for From Big Eyes, Mm -hmm. Big Eyes. Here's my theory, and I want to float this by the both of you. That song is a troll, right? Like, that song, on her part, is she's like, I wonder if they'll, like, I'll just send this to them as a goof, and they'll probably be like, what the hell, like, get take another pass at this. And they just accept it. The fact that she says, oh, you want me to write a song for big eyes? Okay, how about with your big eyes and your big lies? And she's, like, <laughs> snickering in the corner, and they're like, yes, print it. I utterly did not remember the song before uh, watching the movie again and when I was like oh th- there's a Lana Del Rey song called Big Eyes in this I bet the lyrics are with your big eyes telling big lies and when the, it's the not even that sophisticated that body. she yeah, doesn't no, even go exactly on to that level a better it's version just like than that. yeah you at least gave it a little bit of like a little bit of flair she was just like big eyes big lies like whatever it's so first of all, I can't believe you didn't remember from the time because like I feel like that was all over my Twitter feed, which mm-hmm. people just being like <laughs> with your big eyes and your big lies. It's so and the fact that they play it in the movie, it's just it's so laughable. Oh and yeah. Because- it, it's it's the only like li- like song with lyrics that plays throughout the entire uh movie. It's and because like- her style is so like self-consciously melodramatic anyway, it makes it even funnier. Yeah. Like it just absolutely <laughs> sounds like a troll. Like she's really just having a laugh. Oh, totally. And- um, I oh do remember God. when this song came out, I was just like, okay, finally, let's like, because one of my uh, biggest uh, disappointments in Oscar snobs of my lifetime is Lana Del Rey getting, not getting a nomination for Young and Beautiful. Um, which was the year before this, for which The Great was Gatsby. The, yes, for Great Gatsby. So I'm like, fine, let, she'll get redeemed. Like, let's do it. And it uh, unfortunately did not uh uh, pay through. Um, yeah, this is just me wanting to mention Young and Beautiful, what, which what I think is a perfect movie song. <laughs> Lana Del Rey is not yeah. my thing, and I think in 2013 I was feeling uh, pretty bratty about mm-hmm. that fact, so like I was very like out front and just being like Thank God she didn't get nominated for The Great Gatsby just to like annoy uh, my friends who liked her. So I probably have that would have been out a great yeah. that. It, it's also so well used in the movie. Like when it when it mm-hmm. comes, like I think it's a great usage of. Uh, well, and the other thing was 2014 
was the year of uh, Xavier Dolan's Mommy, which ends with Born to Die over the final mm. moments mm-hmm. of Flawless that movie and into way. the credits, which is a fantastic use of Lana Del Rey in a movie. This was really like, this was, you know, this was a moment for people liking to use her stuff in movies, which makes sense. Her stuff is very, as I said, like self-consciously melodramatic, which is cinematic. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm thinking right now, like, she's done quite a, because she has Young and Beautiful, she has uh, this one, she has that, I really like that cover of Once Upon a Dream that she does in Maleficent. Um, Oh, right. And she has, like, a cover of Season of the Witch in that, um, what was that movie that came out last year, or like the year before, uh, which was a Del Toro production? Uh, was it just called Season of the Witch? I don't remember. Oh, was uh, it from uh, the with the house, with the, the bloody snow in the house? What is that movie called? I think so. Uh, Crimson Peak? Yes. No, no, no. It, no it wasn't, it's not a Del Toro-directed movie. It's, uh, um, he produced it. It's He produced it. Let me see. Uh, Season of the Witch was a Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, it's oh from I the, saw that shit in theater theater too it's, it's from good. the movie scary stories we tell in the dark oh uh, sure yes. right. yeah which was del toro uh produced because i remember that because like lana del rey was one of the people that presented guillermo del toro with his hollywood uh star in the walk um which wow. is one of the most what? random things ever <laughs> um yeah so that that's why i remember it but yeah I guess they're pals. I don't know. Sure. Why not? <laughs> That's really funny. Listen, all I'm saying is if had she been nominated for Big Eyes with Your Big Lies, it wouldn't have been the first best original song written exclusively on colorful uh, refrigerator <laughs> magnet letters um, for toddlers. It wouldn't be the first. It's oh. true. There have been probably a few. I agree with that. What? What ended up winning that year? Uh, this is the Selma year, so it, yeah. it would be um, common. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, can't dispute that. Can't dispute that. Common and John Legend. Yeah. That was the year that um, also uh, the Pharrell song was such a big deal, right? That was that same year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Happy. Uh, where Lupita no. Nyong'o dance. Is that? No, that's a different year. Real? Is it? That would have been, a, yeah, if it was Lupita, then it would have been a different year. Yeah. Well, my memory is shot. All we really hold on to is the good original song nominees. It's all we have to hold on to sometimes from, uh, from certain things. Yeah. Um, hold on. Let me look that up because now that's going to bug me. Okay. So this is this is the Globe's uh, lineup for original song, obviously. Uh, John Legend in Common. Lana Del Rey. For Annie, there is a Sia song nominated. Not Sia. Oh, this was the Sia year. <laughs> this, this is where one it all started. <laughs> The real Sia year was 2016, but like this was like a little bit of a preview. Oh, we didn't right. know what was in um, store for us regarding Sia and right. the Globes. Oh. Darren Aronofsky was nominated with uh, Darren Aronofsky's Noah, I should say, um, was nominated for a Patti Smith song, and then uh, from Mockingjay Part One, a Lord song was nominated oh. at the Globes. Oh, that was a pretty good song. I remember that the Lord song I from Mockingjay. That was good. Those the uh, Oscar Game songs got a bunch of uh, Golden Globe now. Oh yeah, the Taylor yeah, one I think uh, also Taylor? did. Yeah, yeah. The Oscars 
you mentioned glory for a common and, and john legend you uh, you were right the the pharrell song from uh despicable me too was the year before that was 2013 but 2014 was the lego movie everything is awesome and yet the lego movie didn't get an animated feature yeah. nomination which was like super bizarre uh, Beyond the Lights, speaking of Gugu Mbatha-Raw, oh, Diane Warren The Rita Warren Ora song. performance. Wow. The Rita Ora performance <laughs> of the Diane Warren song, which I, like, Stockholm Syndrome'd my way into enjoying that. Because, like, <laughs> I love that movie, and I love Diane Warren, and I don't know, I do find myself listening to Grateful every once in a blue moon. Um, Begin Again, which I loved, and Lost Stars, which I loved. Also a Weinstein movie. Fantastic. Um Remember, I remember that movie getting like a lot of really like mean, snobby reviews at Sundance that year. And I'm like, well, I guess it's bad. And then when I saw it, I was just like, what the fuck are you people talking about? This movie is a joy and a treasure. And I love it very much. Um, and then, of course, the requisite um, documentary song nomination for the Glenn Campbell movie, Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me, which we truly have gotten like a documentary nomination every year going back yeah like for probably the entire 2010s this year is gonna be all docs it really is nothing but docs. it is um i forget if the lineup would even allow for it the the like the short list is out there oh god the short list that there cursed short list poor taylor swift they really just hate her the academy really does just hate yeah her. they don't like her um we should get into the IMDb game in a second, but I want to just real quickly, my theory, well, I, I did write down what the one bit of dialogue I wrote down in my notes was early on when she's talking to Kristen Ritter and Kristen Ritter says something about espresso and Amy Adam goes, espresso, what is that? Like reefer? Like, and Kristen Ritter just goes, you have a lot to learn. And I was just like, this is such. It's in the trailer. That's in the trailer. Yeah, because I, I rewatched the trailer. It's um, so funny. All of the like moments, all of the big eyes and the big moments from the movie are all in the trailer. Like they save nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the I'm other glad... note I had about this was this would have been a great drunk history episode rather than a movie. I feel like, <laughs> right? Who would tell the drunk history? Get Reese Amy Adams and make Reese. They would. Still it. <laughs> I was thinking like a Kristen Shawl or something like that would have been perfect for something like this. But yeah, oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Get Kristen Shawl and still have Amy Adams and Kristen and Christopher. Kristen Shawl, Amy Adams can can it can act it out, and Kristen Shawl yeah, exactly. can be the drunk yeah. narrator. Yes, I like um, that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Kristen Ritter because I just wanted to mention how she and Jason Schwartzman are the most Tim Burton-esque yes. people. Yes, And they are both so incredibly wasted. Kristen um, Ritter deserves to have a Tim Burton movie all to herself. Oh, totally. A hundred percent. They're bringing exactly the right like fizzy energy to mm-hmm. the movie, too, and there's just not enough of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's, Jason Schwartzman was on set for four hours and... Uh, got his, like, day check and was out. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they they both fit the Tim Burton uh, aesthetic uh, so well. and I just As did the girl they cast to play the older version of the daughter when they when mm-hmm. all of a sudden that daughter got older, and I'm just like, oh my god, they found a big-eyes girl. Yes, that girl, Her big-eyed daughter. Because we looked her up after watching me and my roommate. Um, she is the best friend in the To All the Boys movie, so... Uh, if you are fans of the To All the Boys franchise, she is in it. I had to look her up to make sure that she wasn't Belle Powley because, like, she looks a lot like 
mm-hmm. what a younger Bell Powley would look like. Bell Powley, who would also be a classic Tim Burton, big-eyed uh, yeah. actress. And also, I mean, we didn't mention him at all because there's a reason for it, but, like, what a nothing character Danny Houston is in this Oh my god. I to narrate the whole thing. Like that narration goodness. is like why does this narration exist? Like why? It, it's it's bad. It's the most forgettable thing of yeah. all time. It's so strange. All right. Do we th- I guess as like the button. How do we haven't really talked about Amy Adams' actual performance in this movie? Um cuz I think she's good. I, I think I think it's just like it asks so little of her yeah. and like her choices are so understated and like that's part of the movie's problem totally. that like if it was a less understated movie it would probably register more yeah i, I think she's yeah. really good at playing the the moment like i feel like every moment and every scene she does is very grounded and she kind of gives it emotional depth i think the problem is with the script and that the arc for a character doesn't make sense so even if like she's good in the individual scenes giving like each moment it's due, yeah. like it doesn't make sense as a whole performance. It does feel like the dominant choice she decided to make in this movie is she was just going to play Margaret as sad. And mm-hmm. it was just like, okay, well, fine. But like, that doesn't really do anything for the movie. Yeah. Um, she wore the hell out of those wigs though. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she did. Oh my God. Should we move on to the IMDb? Yeah. Why don't we? Let's do it. Joseph, explain the IMDb game to our listeners. I shall. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released here as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. Jorge, you are our guest, so we will start with you, and we will let you decide if you want to give or guess first, but we will also let you decide if you want to give to me or to Joe. Sure. Um, I will give to Joe first. Okay. Great. Um, cool. So my person, I went the Tim Burton route. Um, I don't think I mentioned this, but... Perhaps, I don't know my favorite, but a, mo- a Tim Burton movie that's very close to my heart is Big Fish. Um, and an actress that I first noticed, uh, the her first like notice ever for me was in Big Fish. Uh, so I'm going to give you, thank you love, thank you life, <laughs> Miss Marion Cotillard. The first thing I had ever seen her in as well was Big yeah. Fish. All right. Um... I don't think Big Fish will be one of them, however. Uh, is one of them Lavian Rose? Lavian Rose, correct. All right. Is one of them The Dark Knight Rises? Incorrect. No. It is an iconic death scene. Her uh, but... fabulous death <laughs> acting in that movie uh, made it um, ineligible. Um. Oh, but I do think it's the other Nolan. I think Inception is probably one of them. Correct, Inception. Okay. Marion, where are you going next? I'm as uncertain about her as I am about her views on 9-11. Um, <laughs> Famous oh, 9-11. Is one of them nine? 
Unfortunately, it is not. I I so wish it would be, but no. Uh, so <laughs> okay. now I give you years, right? Yeah. Uh, your two years are 2012 and 2014. Oh, 2014, same year as Big Eyes. All right, so the question here is, is it the movie that all the film Twitter nerds wanted her to get nominated for, which was The Immigrant, or the one that she did get nominated for, which was uh, Two Days, One Night? Is it that The Immigrant was Weinstein and the Weinstein company just wouldn't push it? Was that the deal? Exactly that. That was the whole thing? Everybody was all pissed off about that? Right. They did nothing for it. I'm going to guess... And they waited like a year to release it after Cannes. Yeah. Yes. Honestly, I was whatever with that movie. I was fine with that. I liked Two Days, One Night better, so I'm going to guess Two Days, One Night, also because that was her Oscar nomination. Yes. Two Days, One Night. All right. Correct. And what was the other year? 2012. Oh, Rust and Bone. Rust and Bone. The whale movie. Yes. Yes. The movie <laughs> where, where she, she does stuff with Katy Perry's fire. Yes, yes, that is right. right. Oh my god. True. All right, that's a good that's a good known for for Marion. That's a very arty yeah. known for, I feel like. Yeah. It sort of like bypassed a couple of her more commercial stuff. Yeah, I think yeah, three of them are She's non-English performances, so. Yeah. All right. So I give to Chris, right? Indeed you do, and I will be giving to Jorge. All right, Chris, you're going to be mad at me for this one, but I'm just going to, we're going to power through it. Uh, we mentioned this person very briefly uh, a little bit ago, not too long ago, about uh, his role in Big Eyes. By the way, I need to just acknowledge the fact that every time I say Big Eyes, in my head, I think of Richard Lawson's tweet about Penny Marshall going to buy tickets for Big Eyes and saying Big Guys. Give me two for... <laughs> Give me two. Give me two for big guys. So shout out to Richard. That is never leaving my brain ever. And, oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. Give me two for big guys. Okay. Um, I am giving you though. I'm not giving you Penny Marshall. Unfortunately, that would have been really good. I'm giving you Danny Houston. Danny Houston. All right. So you know the memorable roles yeah, of Danny I, Houston's <laughs> career. Right. 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 How dare you? Um. I mean, it's okay. There has to be uh, something uh, fucking annoying uh, that you do to me yes. every episode. Yes, this is it. Um, I will take it as this. I'm not going to say that Big Eyes or Big Guys is in it. I... I'm going to say Birth? No, even though that should be one of them. Cool. Um, all right. Other Danny Houston movies... Um, literally one of these i remember him being in these are all four movies that like you've heard of for sure but like only one of them i actually remember him being in great this is gonna go very well um 30 days of night no also should be probably one of them all right so your years wow is this the first time in how long that uh we didn't get (laughs) we got immediately got too long oh for two all right your years are 2003 2004 2005 and 2009 my hint to you is that three of these were oscar nominated for performances that were not him performances that were not what him Him? oh okay um okay so oh three oh four oh five and please don't tell me oh six oh nine oh nine okay um 
So Oscar-nominated performances of that year, of those years. He's in The Aviator. That's one of them. Aviator, correct. Oh, cool. Um, he's in... What are, like, big ensembles? He's always in huge ensembles. He's not in Cold Mountain. These are both, like, m- like middle ensembles. They're not huge ensembles, but, like... okay. There's, there's, you know, a good handful in both of them. What are British or, like, co-British movies? Gosford Park's O2, and I don't think he's in that. He's in The Constant Gardener? Yep, that's one of them, Constant yep, Gardener. Yep. Cool. So that's your O4 and so O5. That leaves... that leaves O3 and 2009. Can I ask which year is not Oscar-nominated? 2009. 2009 is a um, universally acknowledged worst of a franchise. Okay. I feel at least. Have I seen this franchise? You've definitely seen some of this franchise. Yeah. yeah. I don't think you like this franchise. Is it an X-Men movie? It is. Can I get it just by saying it's the next? Okay, oh nine, oh nine would have been. I think Last Stand is before this. Last Stand is, is Last, Stand? Last Stand is oh six. So it's one of the Wolverines. Yes, it is X Men Origins okay. Wolverine. Wolverine, I hate you. Um, so now you're only left with. Yes, it's terrible. <laughs> Nobody likes that movie. The Wolverine Origins movie that leaked online like two weeks before it happened and it was a print with like terrible CGI in it. Oh, I didn't that see that. I remember. But that probably better than this, than what turned out to be. Yeah. All right. Oh three, mid ensemble. Um he's not in Mystic River. I will say the director of this movie was referenced on our in our discussion like towards the beginning of our discussion. Yes. Yes, yes. See in 21 grams? He does in 21 grams. He is in 21 grams. Weird. Yes, weird and wild. I apologize to for putting you through that, but you did very well at it. I'll never forgive you. <laughs> um, moving right along, Jorge for okay. you, I have somebody that we have referenced uh multiple times in this episode because they were a nominee in the year we were discussing, but also was potentially going to originally play Margaret. (gasps) Who am I talking about? I am talking about Miss Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Oh, that's good. Um, No television. No television. And no voice work. Let's not forget uh, the Sing movies. The Sing movie. I believe she is Monsters vs. Aliens. She is Rosita the Pig on the Sing movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde, yes. Okay. Uh, election? Election, yes. Okay, okay. Um, let's... What more recent things has she done? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, is it Walk the Line, her Oscar win? Walk the Line. Okay. You haven't had a wrong answer oh, yet. Okay. I don't know if we've ever had a guest get a perfect <gasps> score. Oh, no. I believe in you, Jorge. I think you can do this. <laughs> I think you can do this. Um, my, I'm, I'm trying, I think it's probably earlier in her career. 
like those are her big roles uh or like the ones she's more known for rather than like the la- latest ones okay i'm gonna say cruel intentions it is not cruel oh, intentions okay should be cruel intentions um so you have one more wrong guess before yes. you get the year um i don't think there'll be a legally blonde two there uh but there could be um is it like a how do you know is she in it yes um pleasantville would be too good to be true uh oh is it wild it is indeed wild. Oh, okay. wow. mm-hmm. I felt so bad when you were like, oh, it'll probably be an earlier one. And I was yeah. like, no, yeah, don't I forgot from the modern yeah, her, her Here's lays. the thing about Wild on her known for. It, it says like what the billing is on, underneath the movie. Mm-hmm. She uh, The known for has her as a producer. Oh, that's weird. Not as the star. Mm. So I feel like in the algorithm, because she produced the movie, starred in the movie, was Oscar yeah. nominated for the movie. Yeah. The algorithm tends to reward uh, stuff that, like, actor-director stuff, I feel like. Yeah. Okay, well, almost there. Some so, uh, some other guests will we'll get it. I'm passing the torch. <laughs> you did very well. I, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to say that you got a purpose. Okay. Well, <laughs> Chris will just remember it that way. That would be a big lie. The- Chris. I was going to say, that is Chris's big lie. Big lie. That he I is. will keep looking at it with my big eye. Um, you guys, I think oh. that's our episode. Jorge, oh my god. Thank, Thank you, you so this much for delightful. joining us. Truly, truly. This was really I, good. I was very excited and looking forward to it. And, uh, this was a delight. Yay. And uh, listeners, of course, have to go and listen to Just to be Nominated. Please do. It'll already, be, um, it'll already have launched, but you'll have... Yes. How many episodes will it be? It'll be 10 episodes. Uh, we are releasing every other week uh, a new episode, but there will be content all throughout that we are working on. So, uh, yeah, please follow us. We are at JTBN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Fantastic. And uh, tell our lovely listeners where they can find more of you uh, aside from the Yes. Uh, I am also on Twitter and Instagram at uh, CallerMeJorge, uh, where you will see me tweeting almost exclusively about the Mamma Mia franchise and or nice. Christine Baranski. Um, <laughs> you know, I also have another podcast, uh, which is a Glee recap podcast. Uh, if you also want to check that out, Chris has been part of that. Chris came in to talk about the 3D movie. Sorry to put you through that. But wow. One of the finest experiences of my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Joe, an open invitation. If you ever want to talk about anything Glee, please come, come oh, over. Oh, God. Um, I would have to dredge up the episodes of Glee that I've seen from my brain. Yeah. That would be or tough, if you haven't seen any, we also love just dropping people <laughs> in. Uh, just traumatize me. Just Every traumatize. time a Glee clip starts go- making the rounds, and I'm just like, I can't believe... They did that, and yeah, yet I can yeah. believe that's it. us. And believe. and me and Michael and my co-host have watched <laughs> it all, so you know. It's, uh, so yeah, we are that. Uh, we are Gleewine, so Gleewine Pod uh, on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, that's that's me. Please incredible you. if you guys want more of this had oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this had oscarbuzz.tumblr.com you should also follow our twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz joseph um tell our lovely listeners where they can find more of your big lies sure i am uh, constantly lying uh, big and small on twitter at joe reed reed spelled r-e-i-d i'm also on letterboxd as joe reed reed spelled the exact same way 
And I am on Twitter at ChrisVFile, that's F-E-I-L, also on Letterboxd under the same name. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and David Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts, now including Spotify. Uh, Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So uh, with your big eyes and, I guess, uh, fingers typing in reviews, um, tell us where your favorite podcast guys. Uh, that's all for this week. Uh, we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.